We work hard at being healthier. And what we really need is better quality sleep. The new Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed intelligently senses your movements and automatically adjusts your comfort and support on both sides. This is not a bed. It's proven quality sleep. It's the biggest sale of the year where all beds are on sale. Save 50% on the new Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed, plus special financing only for a limited time. To find your local Sleep Number store, go to sleepnumber.com. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details. They're staying in the shadows. It's called probing. Make sure things are all clear. Clear for what? For the rest of the world. You guys hear that? Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm your host, Tony Merkel, and I'm really glad that you're here, and I'm really glad to be here. Today, Lindsay and I had the opportunity to set up a vendor's table in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania at the Blob Fest. The Blob Fest is a festival named after the movie The Blob that was filmed in Phoenixville back in 1958. Right about now, Lindsay and I are probably tearing down our table and getting ready to come home, but I'm sure we had a great time, and I'm sure I'll have plenty of stories to share with you guys in the future. Now, this week's show is part two of a two-part show with Chad and Alta Dillard. Last week, they went into great detail, sharing what they experienced one night when they were abducted in New Orleans. This week, they go into more details, plus they share the story of what happened to their friend when their friend was abducted that night with them in New Orleans. All right, so you you mentioned Travis Walton and how he he wouldn't talk to you. Let let me just understand this. You inherited a property that he had his experience on. It's in the it's in the neck of the woods of the forest that he, you know, his experience at the time. He's very young. He's a lumberjack with a crew of lumberjacks, but he also, if I'm not mistaken, comes from that part of the country as well. uh, you know, family roots to some degree of that mountain, that area. Well, on my father's side, I don't meet my father, my birth father, till I'm 27. I am his only child, and I happen to be named after him. Um, but we discover fairly quickly he's not too interested in having a daughter. And so it was very hurtful and painful. And uh, But in the meantime, uh, before it kind of falls apart, uh, he and my mother reunited That just all fell apart. But anyhow, they reunited for a brief period of time, a couple years, I would say. And in that meantime, my mother relocated out to Arizona and joined him. And they had purchased a small plot of property that happened to be uh, from a 
an uncle on my father's side that uh, had passed on. And so they purchased this property and it happened to be relatively very close to where Walton was, had his experience or, or, you know, abducted or taken. We always use the word taken. What was so interesting about that very strange story I just shared is that this uncle, uh, he was known as Uncle Shorty. And it was a good name for him because he was, oh, he was just yummy. I had a chance to spend some time with him. Chad had a chance to meet him as well before he passed. Well, Uncle Shorty was just a little tiny thing, uh, literally, thus his name, who built a small cabin up in those mountains as his getaway that was like a dollhouse. It was built his size. Chad's six foot one or so and had to bend to get around inside of this. You know, the roof was so short. It was just adorable, this place. Well, Uncle Shorty had made kind of a name for himself in his earlier life, his youth. Now, I don't believe there was any Indian in his blood, but he was pretty much born and raised in those mountains. And he was known as the last Pony Express rider. He made it into a magazine called Arizona Highways, which is quite famous for folks that are connected to the Southwest. It's been in, you know, in business a long, long time. And uh, I, I don't think he made it into Life magazine, but he may have made it into Life magazine. And if you look him up, his name was Shorty Neal. Um, I'm trying to remember his literally his birth first name. Uh, Neil is his last name. You'll see an old photo of him on his horse as, you know, being the last Pony Express rider up through those mountains. So I knew that everybody had to know him because he was the everything to getting everybody's mail to them up until, I believe, up until the 40s, the 50s. So I understood that on, on that level, he was a bit of a celebrity. Well, when I saw Walton, he just looked at me extremely puzzled and just kind of pan, deadpanned eyed, like I was just a nuisance, like, just go away. Don't go away, man. Just go away. And it was very puzzling to me. And so he made it very clear just in his uh, behavior towards us that he just wasn't interested in talking. So we never tried again. It was, again, it was a strange conference and it was, oh, it was just very bizarre. Yeah. Do you feel it's odd that it feels like your story has strands that connect to other people's stories? Uh, I mean, it, it, it just, I feel like, it, I don't know. I feel like there's something revolves around all this. They, the fact that, right. you know, that the property is so close to Travis Walton's, you know, experience right. where, you know, that, that's probably the most famous, uh, you know, or one of the most famous. Uh, right. And then, you know, the whole implant and Dr. Lear. I mean, it was soon, as soon as you mentioned a doctor, I asked you the name. You said Dr. Lear. I, my light bulb went on my head and I quick did right. a search because I, I was like, I know that name. And right. so, you know, Dr. Lear, you know, works with people out had worked with people out there and I just feel like it's so I don't know like I feel like you ever feel like there's something that you're just not connecting the dots and if you had this one piece of information so much would make sense I feel like that's <laughs> that's I feel like that's what's going on with with you guys like there's just something missing and even with the the imp the implant you know 
people describe these implants sometimes as having a mind of their own. And that's what you've experienced where it's, do you think it was like cloaking inside your body? And that's why it couldn't be found. I, I, I sit actually almost in silence because I am clueless. I know what I experienced. I know that it, it and its non-action, meaning being allowed to be x-rayed, terrified them, the doctor, his x-ray tech. They were terrified. Now, there's just no other way to describe it. I am embarrassed. I'm angry. I'm hurt. I'm confused. And I realize that I'm in trouble because these people want me gone. Now, Chad and I are extremely polite. We've, we've worked very hard to stay polite in our lives. So the last thing we want to be is a bother to anybody. And, that's, and I'm just experiencing all of these emotions with no help. Just So my truth tells me at this stage of it that something feels like it's out there pointing and laughing at us. And I can't seem to get past that sort of notion. And yet we still don't stop. I was able to find you and, you know, here we are right now, the three of us and, and your lovely little family on that. And, you know, that, that's what gives us, gives us some kind of clarity in all of this haze of what in the world is going on. But, you know, the worst of it that I've discovered, and that's the saddest part of all of this to me on a personal level, is because I'm watching the bad behavior of humans. And it's very sad because as long as this continues, I don't see how anything can get understood or worked out. So if that's the way it has to be, I'll just, Chad and I'll just keep doing I'm a traditional dancer and we'll just keep dancing our way through this to try to understand as best as we can. Yeah, I mean, that's really the best we can do at this point. I mean, the worst thing you can do is clam up and not talk about it, you know, because what you guys are doing right now with doing this interview and doing other interviews with people, like you're presenting your story for other people to hear. And there's you're not the only ones out there. You might be right. one of the very few out there that are willing to come on and talk about this openly without the fear of what other people think. But there are so many people out there that have experienced these things, and you're doing, you're doing your part because though you know doctors aren't seeing you or you know people at conferences are ignoring you, like you're doing your part. You're putting your story out there and allowing other people to hear what you have to say because hopefully that has a snowball effect, and over time you start seeing more and more people coming out and saying, "Yeah, I've experienced something very similar." And at that point. Right we can actually start comparing notes now and we can start comparing different things such as I wanted to kind of bring it back actually now that I thought I just thought of this Alta you described your memory from that night and Chad described his and this is just pure conjecture just as pure uh, speculation what I'm about to say but it's just a thought uh, as good as anything really um Chad, right. Chad said that he saw somebody, a woman, laying on a table with uh, three beings around her with cloaks on. You described in your memory looking up 
seeing these what looked to be stars until they started moving around. And the person next to you said not to be afraid because I think you said they were scanning you or something like that. Do you? And and I know you're going to say I don't know, but I'm just going to say this anyways. Is it maybe it's possible that Chad maybe saw what you were experiencing from the outside? Like maybe you maybe what you were experiencing was almost like a, a hypnotic state that you were put in. But on the outside of your body, there was actually maybe things actually scanning your body, like people or entities scanning your body. But in your mind, you were seeing something totally different. Whereas Chad, and I'm not saying you were the person on the table, I'm saying, but maybe Chad saw that process from the outside where they were actually mm-hmm. doing this. I, that's just something that I just thought of when I heard your stories. And I don't know if that makes sense. But maybe it's like same thing going on, but two different perspectives. I don't know. Just just an idea. I don't know if you ever thought about that. It's so interesting. No, I have not thought of that before. And I don't know. Chad's no either. So we're just so open to hearing it all. Because again, because you you're very you're very uh, precise. I don't know. I so wish I knew something. I just, I know nothing in terms of, as I say, what the hey is going on here and why is, it's just so, I mean, you haven't even heard about ja- about our friend, you know, the third person and her whole experience is completely she opened up to different. That? She, she actually opened up about that? Right. So when we got, oh. when we got reconnected two days later, uh, she then expresses to us or me in particular, and then later shared it with both Chad and I, what happened with her. But if I might add, because her whole experience is just so bizarre, as if ours didn't sound crazy enough. Uh, did you want me to express, did you want me yeah, to absolutely. share that? Go for it. Let's back up prior to that night of the missing time, if you will, of the three of us. Very shortly before that, I'm not exactly sure how long, uh, but a very short amount of time prior to that night, she has shared with me, and I've said this before, I feel, and that's all I can say is I feel this, I don't know for a fact, but the reason she chose to share what I'm about to tell you to me first and then Chad and I is I feel it's because I've got mixed Indian blood and that I come from a tradition of a lot of lore of cryptids and shapeshifters and what have you. So this is what she says happens. She claims that she's dating a guy that we knew for a minute, and she literally dated him for a minute, keeping in mind she's 24 at the time. She decides his his name is Will. He's her opposite, where she's tall, slender, long blonde hair, very gregarious, happy laugh kind of person. He's the opposite in the sense that he's very cute, but he's got long black hair. And he has a darkness about him. So I labeled him right from the beginning, dark boy. And uh, they dated very briefly. She says that when she decided to not see him any longer, she invites him over to her apartment. She lived in a duplex. It's daylight. It's in the afternoon, meaning she had pure daylight to see what she saw. She said they're standing on her front porch. She doesn't even have him come in the house. They're standing very close. She's just few inches apparently in front of him and she proceeds to tell him I like you but and she says as she's telling him basically this I'm paraphrasing 
that she wants to see other people. She says he's becoming so emotionally, uh, my word, undone from the inside out, like he's shaking from the inside out. She said that he turned into a wolf. She said she turned her head away instantly in shock. And I understood exactly what she was saying because that's what I did when I saw that first craft. My head flipped to the side. I looked at Chad instantly to make that go away. She did the same thing. She looked away in shock. She said she turned her head back, looking him right in the face. He had shifted back into the human form, and then he shifted a second time. She said when he did it the second time, I'll clean the language up. She said in a very firm voice, you just turned into a fill-in-the-blank wolf. She said in a very startled voice, he came back at her with, you saw that which confirmed to her she absolutely saw what she saw. Now, she says that that night of missing time, she remembers 11 on that street corner, just like Chad and I, and the next thing she knows, it's somewhere between 3 and 4 in the morning. She's now behind the steering wheel of her moving car. Her car hits a parked car and knocks off her rearview mirror. She said this is what jolted her to. The car is now in a whole other section of the city from where she parked that car that morning. She claims that the car is seems to be somewhat driving itself as she's coming to and trying to get her bearings straight. She ends up driving over to this guy's house that she would never see again just on a good day, much less the fact of what she claims he did, this shape-shifting. She said when she gets over into his neighborhood, it's not a nice neighborhood. He lives in an apartment that's out of a big, huge house that's probably turned into a fourplex kind of uh, environment. The house is um, surrounded in a big iron gate that's got a, a, a fence with a gate that's always locked. Well, of course, not on this morning. It's somewhere between three and four in the morning. She's in a neighborhood she shouldn't be in in that time of day. And uh, she says the gate's open. She gets out of her car. She goes up his steps. She says he's sitting right inside the house in front in the front door. Either the door is wide open or it's a screen door. She said he's sitting under some kind of a light, a lamp overhead, I, if I understood correctly. He's playing guitar. She said he's he stops playing guitar. She walks up inside the house and she said, he looks at her and he says, either I've been or we've been waiting for you. She said he stops playing the guitar. He puts it down. She said she starts to become a controlled hysteric uh, crying. Now, I've never seen her cry. She cries uncontrollably. She said he walks her into a room, lays her down. She said he cries, she cries herself to sleep. She then says that she, her eyes open. She thinks it's probably only within an hour or so because the sun seems to just be rising. She said she's completely dressed. She has no sense that he's done anything to her. She said she gets up and she gets the flock out of Dodge and doesn't look back. Now that is her story and she's sticking with it. She's had no interest in going public. I asked her many years later, about seven years later after our event in 97, so around, what, 2004, 5, somewhere in there, I asked her to please write it. 
I wanted it in writing, her memory. She agreed to that. She signed it. She also indicates in her in her repeating this in, in this letter form that I have online that she can't really remember very much at all. So her memory is fading pretty dramatically about that night of crossing the quarter and the fact that it's getting very foggy for her. Now, that was very strange for Chad and I to see her write that because we remember it very clearly and she used to. But it's becoming a fog. And you can tell by the way she writes it. At the bottom of her letter, she indicates Alton and Chad, me in particular, can she trusts that we will repeat this story as accurate as possible. And she gives us pretty much permission and faith to speak on her behalf. But that's as far as she's ever been willing to go with it. Wow. So when this whole thing happened, she doesn't have an experience where she was like in an alternate uh, state of being of consciousness she what you described was actually happening in the physical realm but she was almost like out of control of it is that how am i am i misreading this story so she remembers 11 p.m and the next thing she knows it's somewhere between three and four all those hours in between are completely gone she doesn't she has no account for it right and the next thing she knows one minute she's on a street corner with us like we remember. And then the next thing is I keep saying she knows she's behind the steering wheel of her moving car. That, that moving. Yeah. And the moving car thing, I'm sure you've heard of it before. I mean, people say that when they were either, when they were abducted or something like that, like they've experienced their car driving itself or even their car physically being moved, like almost like lifted and moved. Uh, Right. That's not an uncommon thing. And I'll tell you, you call him Dark Boy because when you met him, it, it, there, there was like this dark vibe that you got from him. Uh, would you exactly. Would you describe it as like almost like an evil presence? No. no. Chad, like Chad's saying. You know, he was kind of gothy and, and, you know, heavy metal music. And, you know, he was a musician. Gothy, I think. Kind of, kind of gothic kind of person you know black jeans black t-shirt yeah. black hair black hat black hair yeah okay uh, or never that, i didn't associate evil with it right okay so, i mean that that kind of draws good imagery in my mind uh for what i'm about to about to say uh i don't know if you know this but when you are when when people are involved in um uh, the satanic uh, rituals and and um, becoming witches and things like that. Uh, there are certain paths that these people choose to go down. Like some choose uh, more sorcery things like that. I there's a guy that I've heard his story several times. At one point in his process of becoming um, a satanic priest he had to choose to either become a vampire or a werewolf. Right. And he had to, he chose to become a vampire. And for about a year and a half, all he, all he consumed was human blood and crack, like those Catholic crackers. 
That's all he consumed. And he would have these women come over and he would, they, they would willingly let him bite into them to drink their blood. Right. Right. Well, the other path, becoming a, a werewolf, he said that he ran into a, a biker that chose that path and warned him not to take it because it's one of the most ex- excruciating pains you would ever feel in your entire life becoming a, a werewolf. It's incredibly painful. Um, and so w- with you saying that, it just brought all that flashbacks because you didn't get a good vibe from the guy. Then this guy's turning into a werewolf. He's at his house, which I, imagery, imagery wise, ironically, it's surrounded by a steel fence, which kind of just gives it that creepy factor. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. He, oh, yeah. A really bad, New Orleans scripted yeah. horror movie. Yeah, in, in New Orleans. I mean, it's just... Uh, you, you, it's you, common. You, you drive past places and go, oh, my God, this is just, you know... Keep out. Straight out of horror movie. You, you mean know? humans live the, there? The, the, the yeah. architect and all is just so... Right. So... And, and she goes to, and th- this really happened, right? Like she goes to his house and he says, I've been expecting you or we've been expecting you. I've right. been, or we've been waiting for you. Well, you know, while you're processing this, if I may, then I'll just yeah. tie that in a bow for you and give you the very final <clears throat> finale of his story. So this all happens in 97. Now, if we may, we'll fast forward to 2001 Chad and I have had a coming apart and for we separated for three months. Chad went to Alabama to work for his father. I stayed behind in the quarter. I'm still working. We're not doing well. I'm not doing well at all being apart from him. And he's just trying to get his life together, if you will. I think he thinks I'm doing wonderful. Well, I'm not. And so, but he doesn't know this. So, It happens to be an afternoon where the streets are very busy. It's a beautiful day. Humidity is absent, which is unheard of here. And I'm so enjoying for the moment that I could breathe with no humidity this day. I'm strolling about as I come out of the shop that I work in. And uh, in the crowd, I hear somebody hollering my name. It happened to be a very tall guy, thank goodness. I saw him over the crowd. He's very tall, like close to seven foot tall when I say tall. He happens to be from Montauk, New York originally. Now, I've discovered a lot of craziness about that area, but I knew nothing about it back then in 2001. A lot of high strength associated with that area. He, uh, he's an artist, kind of a starving artist. So he comes and goes out of the quarter. I hadn't seen him in a long time, a couple of years, I seems like. Uh, he discovers Chad and I have separated. He's very upset about this. He asked if I wanted to have a drink. We sit at an outside cafe. He orders a Coke. I may have ordered a beer. I can't re- quite remember. I don't ever remember drinking it, though. I'll say that. I never remember taking any drinks out of this. He's... Uh, chit-chatting with me and finding out about Chad and I splitting up. He's rolling a cigarette and in the time he takes to roll the cigarette, uh, all of a sudden the conversation shifts almost instantly. We go from having this, what I would think is almost a normal conversation of trying to play fast catch up to all of a sudden he says, 
so, hey, have you heard what's happened to Will? And I am in instant shock. I'm not believing this name is coming out of this guy's mouth. I look at him and I say, Will, dark boy, how do you know him? I didn't even know you knew him. Well, that's not so strange, all these strange people and artists and what have you. So apparently he knew him. He says, yeah, he says, he's gone around telling everybody he had to, he has to catch a bus. He's got to get out of town because the aliens are after him. Now, with that said to you, at that very moment, I'm in such disbelief what I'm hearing coming out of this so-called friend's mouth to my ears that at this moment now I'm looking around like, where are the cameras? This is some creepy, candid camera, and I've been caught on camera, and what an idiot I am. I'm just really flipping out because I'm just not even believing what I'm hearing. And so, yeah, that was the final story on um, on Dark Boy. And another thing to add to that is that uh, he is, you know, he's a Louisiana native and that we heard that his uh, either his mom or his grandmother mother mother was was a swamp witch and was, you know, way out, you know, so and they have what they call here the Rougarou. Yeah. Well, you know, that does tie it in a bow. That's for sure. Uh, and like I said earlier, it it seems like it's just people's stories have these little strands that attach to yours. And and it's just, it's incredible to me. It's absolutely incredible. It's, I really feel like if I just had this one piece, so much stuff would tie to bet together so nicely, you know, do you feel that way? Just, I'm just so excited to hear you say that because absolutely that's what keeps me going is seeking that piece of understanding. Yeah. It may never happen in our case or my case in particular, but we stay focused and just trying to, as they say, get through each day, you know, one day at a time, as they say, because it certainly seems to unfold itself much better for us if we try to just take it as easy and calmly as we can. Sure. Now, you guys, uh, you mentioned where this happened. Uh, I want to say it was Hammond, Louisiana. Is that right? The original sighting of the huge, massive craft oh. was just was just outside of Hammond. Okay, so and then what happened to us took place in the French Quarter. Okay, French. And how like is that is that New Orleans? I'm not sure the geography. Like how how, how close is that to New Orleans? Yeah, uh, the French Quarter is is pretty much the middle of, of New Orleans. It's okay, gotcha. the, the heart. It's pretty much the heart. It's it's the oldest part of the of of New Orleans. Okay, that makes a lot of sense now. Because I mean, I've heard you know the witch doctors and things like that down there. I've never, yeah. like I said, I've never been down there. Maybe one day I will be, but uh, you know, I hear different stories. And so when you say that. You know, Dark Boy, I can't remember his real name. You keep on thinking Dark Boy. But right. when you say that his mom was, you know, uh, I think you said a swamp witch or something like that. Right. Uh, you know, it, it for me, in my mind, you know, 
my audience knows I, I do come from a theological background. So like I start connecting dots in a certain way. And for me, it right. really did tie things into a bow for me. Cause I was like, okay, well, this is a, a, a generational thing. I mean, right. I, I, I believe, yeah. I do believe in, in, um, for lack of better terms, generational curses. I, I don't, I don't know if that's exactly how I would describe it, but right. I do believe things, um, follow families from generation to generation yeah. of not taken care of. Uh, and, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's just, it, man, it just, it's really incredible to hear that. And you know what, kind of rewinding way back to when we first started this and you started sharing some things, it kind of makes sense in my mind. Now you mentioned about Chad, you mentioned about seeing, uh, I think it was like a voodoo priest at one point, like a, like a, like a, um, an apparition. Was that an actual person that you knew? Well, so here's my whole kind of, yeah, if you got a second, it's like the first or second, it was within the, like the first week of moving into this apartment above the voodoo temple. And I'm laying there in bed, out in iron bed sleep. And I kept feeling like there was a, a bug crawling across my chest. And, you know, you don't have to be dirty to have bugs in the French Quarter. You know, the, the, the buildings are so close and so old and everything, and the palmetto bugs. And But anyway, I kept feeling like a bug was crawling across my chest. So I'd wake up and I'd scratch. And, you know, thinking about it, if it was a bug, it would be, you know, in different places. You know, it'd be at my chest and one time my ear the other you know my arm the next you know this was always in the exact same spot and when i woke up excuse me when i woke up the next morning i you know scratched a couple of layers of skin off you know it bothered me so much so i get dressed go to work and this vision starts coming back to me and it was this very short statured uh very African-y looking uh, man of color. I could only see him from his waist up, from waist down. It was just kind of a misty, foggy, cloudy kind of thing. He was he was horizontal over me. You know, I'm laying in bed and he's floating above me, you know, a few feet. And he had a very short afro, uh, some beads uh, around his neck. He bare chested, no shirt, uh, you know, just some kind of like trinkets and African beads. And I remember him taking his finger and kind of tickling me on my chest. And when I go up and scratch, he would pull his hand back. And this happened three or four times throughout the night, you know? So I get off from work that day and, of course, out to be a Native American, you know, she's always had, we've always had the, the sacred burn, you know, the, the cedar and sweet grass and all. So I get home and out is at work. So I'm there by myself and I get, get her shell and I get the, the sweet grass and I got the smoke going and I'm like, okay, I said, now, you don't have to go. I know, I know there's something here and you don't have to go anywhere. And, and we're going to have, I'm getting ready to paint the apartment. We'll have us a nice, clean, beautiful apartment. Just leave me alone. Just leave me alone. You know, don't touch me. Don't leave. Just leave me alone. 
And so, and I never had any other problem. A few months later, another couple had moved in and they moved into the apartment down below us. And they had been, now the food increase had died right before, a few months before we moved in there. And, but they had been married by the voodoo priest and they start bringing their wedding picture out, pictures out and they're showing me the pictures and, and they're going, and yeah, oh, here's reverend or priest, such an, I forget his name, such and such. And I look at the picture and I'm like, whoa. And I told them the story that I just told you. And they're like, yeah, you know, that's how he was. He was kind of a trickster. He, he would kind of test you. He would, you know, make sure that you were cool or okay to be in his presence. You know, he, he would test you. He would you know, do tricks and stuff like that to kind of, so apparently I passed because I stuck around a little bit longer, but it, it was still, we didn't stay very long. No. <laughs> no. So with that whole situation, do you think, because you, uh, you cut out a little bit, you said that he had passed the priest? Yeah, yeah. He passed a few months before we had moved into the, and come to find out, okay. we were in his old apartment. Apparently, he had his own space, uh, you know, uh, separate from the voodoo priestess. His wife, right. His wife. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Because I, I was, my original reason for bringing this up, because I, I was thinking that this person was somebody that you knew that you've seen somewhere. And I, I, my first thought was astral projection. And I, and that was just my first thought. But if that person was already dead when you moved in, then that's not the case. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Wow. So you guys gave me a ton and, <laughs> and I, I, I feel like I just want to bring up this one other topic that we mentioned just real briefly and don't worry about the time. So let's just, you know, if you got something to share, just feel free to do so. You mentioned that you had this whole experience that we talked about for a while now. Uh, but you also mentioned that you, you've had experience with some kind of maybe cryptid or something like that. Have you had an experience with cryptid? Or what was that whole um, thing that you brought up earlier in our conversation when we first started talking? Right. So we have both had experience with I call them Sasquatchies. Um, mine was invisible, absolutely terrifying. It came off of having a experience with the night sky of seeing, no other way to describe it, a very brief UFO experience. Uh, was connected prior to this terrifying. I was sure I was dead along with my friend in my backyard that we were dead. And having this encounter... I'll get back to that if you're interested and there's time for you. Absolutely. If I may, though, I'll just move forward. Uh, then we discover Chad's father and his adult brother who live in this same small town in Alabama. They've had an up-close and personal encounter with Sasquatchy. Then we also, we didn't see this ourselves, but we were involved only one time in our lives because I was foolish to get involved in a ghosty hunt. Again, you hear how I changed the language to kind of baby it up to take the scary out of it. 
Sure. When we went on this ghosty hunt, we were in way over our heads. We had no business. It was my doing. And we discover in that experience a little boy who was very adult-like, who was no mess around, uh, tell us that he witnessed the way he described it was a monkey lizard. And that all sounded extremely terrifying and as close to demonic or what have you as you can get. Then Chad and I both experienced what we feel we never physically saw them. But if I may just take time for Chad to share this particular story with you, I'll set it very quickly. We're in a motorhome. We're in the top of a small mountain in outside of Waverly, Ohio. I didn't even know Ohio had mountains. It was a little mountain, but it was a mountain. It was very windy. Chad and I had just started our journey in a motorhome, pulling a Jeep and a trailer. So we're like a rolling uh, locomotive going down the road with our pooches up in the window. And uh, we're just traveling artists and just trying to be free and experience and I don't know, just just trying to live life, never having children. We had the freedom to do that. We get to the top of this small mountain. We discover that the young, the middle-aged couple who own the mountain, uh, they've just had the Bigfoot hunters, whatever that crazy show is. Forgive me for saying crazy. I can't think of the name of that. What is that show, Chad? Do you know? Finding Bigfoot? Finding Bigfoot. Right. They had just been on her mountain. Uh, investigating prior to us getting there, we had no idea about any of this. We we pull up after the fact. She shares with us that she had an encounter on that mountain after living on it her whole entire life, and she knows what she experienced. So this this television crew go out there and they explore. I don't know what came out of it. I don't remember, but what I can tell you, and I'm going to have Chad describe because I find this just hysterical and frightening, all kind of in the same breath. As we get parked up on the top of that mountain, it's a very small park. Uh, Chad's going to take the girls out, the pooches out for their night business. At the end of the night, I'm coming into bed. Uh, Chad gets the dogs outside, walks them, and then comes back in to report to me this. Yeah, I'd walk, you know, and it was dark up there. I mean, there's no streetlights. There's no streetlights. So all I've got is like, my flashlight and my headlight, you know, uh, the one I wear on my cap. And we got dogs and, that aren't protectors. <laughs> yeah, you know, one's going night blind, you know. Right. So, you know, she's not going to do much. But anyway, we're just coming back and getting back to the the motorhome. And we're I'm probably, you know, four or five yards at the most from the house. And all of a sudden... I hear this, what I describe as a grunt snort. It was like, <clears throat> you know, it was all deep. at the same time, deep gutter, gutterly kind of sound. Snort. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm a country boy. I'm from Arkansas. You know, I know what critters sound, critters like. sound like normal critters in a, in, the, you know, it wasn't a, a dog. It wasn't a deer, you know, and even the dog stopped and, they kind of stopped and looked, you know, and, you know, they, they didn't bark or, you know, whine or cry or anything like that, like they would if, you know, it was something 
you know, usually like a rabbit or something, when they would see something like that, they're, they're, you know, just ready to go after it. Not this time. I, I get the girls and I'm like, oh, hell, Joe, it's time, excuse my language, but, you know, it's time to get in the house. So I get in the house with the, girl, with the dogs and I'm like, Alta, I just heard this grunt, snort, gutter, gutterly kind of something, something out in the woods, you know. And it sounded like it was like right there beside us, you know. And um, she's like, Sasquatchy. I'm like, yeah, something maybe like that. She goes, oh, we got to make him a plate. I'm like, huh? <laughs> Which means which means you got to go make him a plate and you got to go take it outside. You know, <laughs> we had, we had grilled weenies. We had Cheetos, we had chocolates, we had chips and we had cinnamon gummies for this plate, for this Sasquatchy that Chad's going to go take the offering to. So he puts it all on a very flimsy paper plate. Yeah. And- just got it on a little paper plate. And uh, there was like an old tree that just, right behind the motor home here, right outside our bedroom window, you know? So I set it on this, you know, log, you know, saying, you know, okay, this is a round log. You know, if it's going to be a dog, a coon or something like that, you know, it's going to knock it off. If it's something intelligent, you know, we'll see. So before I could even get my eyes open the next morning, she always wakes up for me, you know, and, gets up and you know turns coffee pot on and you know i'll wake up a little while later but no not this morning before i could even get my eyes open she's like go check the plate i'm like huh go check the plate okay yeah yeah go outside and i go out and i look at the come around the, the thing and i look and the plate is still sitting on this log this tree and i get a little closer and everything's gone off of it. Everything, I mean, the, the plate is clean, except those little cinnamon jellies. You know, it's those little cinnamon jellies with the, the sugar on it. Apparently, he did whatever it was, did not like the cinnamon and did not. But there's no paw prints on the ground. There's no disturbance. There's no crumbs. You know, you would think if it was a, a coon or a dog or anything like that, that, you know, they knocked the plate off of the you know, off, off of the, the log, you know, it was nothing, you know, it's clean. I was like, this is crazy. So yeah, that was, that was pretty wild. And before we left, we took a couple of other night walks uh, on into the evening and we could hear stuff kind of, it was like a really gutterly chatter kind of just you know, following us. In the woods. And yeah, they, we could hear something walking and the girls would react. The dogs would react, you know, again, you we know, if shocked. it was a, if it was anything that they could chase, they'd be wanting to chase it. You know I mean? They, they're those type of dogs. You know, they're hurting dogs. They're, you know, they're, they're going to chase and herd, but no, not this. Mm-hmm. They, they did not they look at us like, are we going to keep walking down through these woods? You know? <laughs> and I mean, we were on the road, but, you know, it was, it was, it was crazy. And we'd walk and stop and it would stop and we could hear chatter. But yeah, that was pretty crazy. And the chatter kind of sounds that we heard 
were, uh, this is just my take on it. I felt like I was hearing female and young. And it certainly sounded like plural. And it, and it certainly felt and seemed to be following us. You know, in those woods, we're on a paved old road. And but, there's no other homes or anything right. up there. I mean, they're top of a mountain the, with nothing the, else. The campground is at the end of the road. You know, the rest of the road is a dirt road. To, no, a paved old paved road that winds down. Well, no, that was the way we got up there. On right. the on the other side was all uh-huh. just gravel. It was right. just an old dirt road. Right. That went down the hard way down the mountain. Meaning there were no other inhabitants. Yeah. The chatter you guys hear, you, you guys have mentioned that a lot. Uh, have you heard of the uh, Sierra sounds? I have. So you've heard you've heard the recordings that Ron Moorhead got. Uh, did it sound similar? You know, what I've always remember about his recordings is, uh, now, I'm sorry, that might make sense to Chad. Now, Chad, I don't think is familiar because, again, I'm the one that's done all the listening and searching and researching, and I share with Chad certain things as I discover it. But, Chad, that that grunt snort, that came from deep, right? You said it was guttural? Yeah, it was like the sound of a gorilla and a bear together. I would suggest that that absolutely could pass as as one of his recordings. But the chatter stuff that we were hearing and that I was clearly hearing was uh, much lighter. And as I said, it had a high kind of a high pitch to it some degree and it felt it felt female to me and it also felt like there was young with it now i again could not not see a thing but seemed to be following us with this chatter for a very long distance up that road there that sound coming out of the woods and we're going right down the middle we got woods on both sides of us with an old paved road that you know one laner that we're walking on and as chad described our dogs you know their behavior their reaction was very telling just in itself and it felt uh for me i don't know i've never asked chad but for me personally it felt mystical uh had it had that kind of a sense to it of well this is interesting and what is that? And this feels fun. I, I didn't feel threatened in any way. Did you feel threatened? Chad? No. What time of day was this? This would have been late afternoon, very early evening. We started off the walk. We walked much further than we normally had prior to this, uh, you know, and other ventures out there. And so this was kind of just a weird walk in, its, in itself by virtue of distance and, uh, and really taking note of the sounds around us. The chatter, as far as I remember, didn't start until we're returning. And the sun has just started setting. So, yeah. And when, when you heard these uh, chatters, 
you did you smell anything? Did, was there any kind of sense of a, an odor or or uh, even maybe even like a? I mean, if it was something really big paralleling you or something like that, you would think maybe you kind of would almost feel it walking next to you. Was there any kind of sense of that or not really? No, no smell at all. I've got a really good sniffer and uh, I detected no smell at all. Chad, I think, is agreeing with me. He's shaking his head no. As far as I'm concerned, I felt that I could feel walking, feel it, not not hear it as such, but feel it. Now, I don't I don't know how else to describe that to you uh, of multiple, certainly more than one and two. I felt there were multiple. Uh, the only way I know how to describe it are invisible Sasquatchy that it, that felt like they were female and small, young. That okay. just were were periodically having this chatter in in a, a fairly soft. I remember it as a soft tone, nothing threatening, nothing. Uh, I had a sense of it sounding Indian, American Indian, and yet not. Uh, Again, I might be even adding a little more to that than it really was, but that's that's my honest senses of what I was experiencing. I'm trying to think here if there were uh, Chad had an experience up in the mountains of New Mexico with a human in appearance that's eyes turned absolutely solid black and extremely menacing. And he experienced something with this. I, that's just straight up evil to me. Um, just my thought on this. But he experienced this very interesting encounter with, that's my word for it, terrifying, interesting, and profound encounter with this person that shifted in the sense of the eyes turning pure black. Jeff, do you mind sharing that? Because I don't know what you label that besides just being creepy and possibly evil. and Yeah, that experience was, was pretty crazy. We were up in uh, this crazy old mining town up in New Mexico. And, uh, Straight out of the 1890s. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was wild. And, um, but we met this old local guy, hippie, you know, had been up there for years, just, you know local yokel and we end up meeting him and a few other people up at this local tavern Sweet. and this was a saloon from like way back right. yeah the 18 16 1800s you know it was like one of the oldest uh saloons they still had the hitch and post out for their horses you know but we're in this old saloon and at this big round table and you now there's probably eight or nine of us, I believe. And just yeah, just visiting, you know, everybody's really cool. Everybody, you know, Friendly. having a good time. And this out is kind of sitting across from me and I'm stand, sitting beside this kind of hippie guy. Well, this, his aura, his just demeanor kind of changed and started. He, I, I don't know if he was just, you know, too much drink or what, but he was just getting kind of ugly, you know, and he said something really crazy off color uh, towards Alta and I. 
out. I don't think anybody caught it except me. And I kind of look over at him and he looks at me and his eyes. There's no black. There's no white. There's no color. His whole eyeball is totally black. And I stop for a second and I'm kind of like inside. I just kind of like, okay, he's trying to mess with me. So I just kind of put up like, you know, my blocks, you know, and just kind of put up my, my positive energy around me, if you want to say, and just kind of, and I don't think he stuck around for much longer after that. Um, but I, I don't remember he him. And yeah, quickly. he 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 left. It was very yeah. Creepy. It was just written. It, it's like his demeanor just changed, you know, in a matter of seconds. You know, it was you know went from you know everybody having a good time to him being this, evil. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I don't think anybody else at the table saw him you know do this eye thing except me. But yeah, it was. It was really creepy and scary. And we'd had a lot of other, you know, different types of high strangeness taking place up there. So, of course, we understood we were not supposed to stay there either. And and but it was just, you know, as my mind is moving through all of these very bizarre encounters of, uh, you know, the cryptic kind and the shape shifting kind and the all of it, it just. It's just been, it's been bizarre, yeah, to it, say the least. It definitely sounds like it. I mean, you've had a life of experiences, really. I mean, more experiences than most people could imagine. I mean, most people, lots, I mean, I think a lot of people experience things and they just don't know how to label it, but, right. I mean, hearing you guys share your stories, I mean, it's, you got, you guys have some, some incredible stuff to share and with with the black eyes i mean you said evil and and that's just kind of how everybody equates the whole black eye uh black eyed kid scenario that these black eyed kids approach people and they just have this overwhelming sense of fear and evil and i know it wasn't a kid but it's the idea of this black eyes um you know emitting fear into people whether it's the the eyes themselves seeing the eyes scaring you or if it's you know, the environment in the room changing, uh, I don't know, but you know, people talk about right. the, the whole black eyed kid thing. And I hear some people right. say that, you know, Oh, well that was just an internet rumor that started back in the late nineties. And, you know, it's really not real. It's just, it's t- picked, picked up steam when, you know, it was, I think it was made into a movie or something like that. But the, the problem with that, that whole idea is it was written in a blog in the late nineties, but if you look at historical accounts, there's people throughout history the last hundred years sure. that have seen these black eyed kids uh, and they, right. and they do the same kind of behaviors. And so it's a real phenomenon. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't try containing the whole black eyed kid thing to just being kids, you know, I, exactly. It certainly could be adults too. We, like I said, we certainly know what, well, Chad certainly knows what he experienced, you know, with this individual. And and this is all happening again in an environment that is just, from the moment we got there, was strange. Just bizarre, strange. One one thing after another. 
And so again, without always trying to sound like we're one-upping people with these experiences, it has just been uh, mind-blowing. And Chad's, as I said, just very quickly, Chad's father and his brother were driving from the small town we all lived in. It was a small lake community in Alabama. And it's right next to uh, a big national forest called Talladega. And, uh, you know, they're driving to Atlanta, a three-hour drive, early in the morning to get Chad's father, I guess, to the airport. And I'll have Chad share with you what they experienced that they saw with their own eyes. Yeah, this was like... Uh, very early in the morning, my, my brother's taking my dad to the Atlanta airport. They live, or we lived about three hours away. And, uh, again, very early in the morning, just starting to get light and they're going through the Talladega national forest, driving down I 20 and they see what in, in front of us, in front of them, a, uh, what they thought was a backpacker or a hitchhiker and with a backpack on and they get closer and all of a sudden this thing stands up you know I, what they thought was this you know wide guy with a backpack on this thing stands up and it's like seven they said it was seven eight foot tall hairy they said as they pass it it kind of looks at them pivots and steps a couple of steps, you know, from the high because it's right on the side of the highway. He said that it was right, you know, next to the guardrail, you know, so just waiting. Yeah. And they said it steps and kind of pivots and looks at them at the same time, takes a couple of steps and, and walks right into the forest. And just, and of course, they keep going and going, you know, what the heck? And now, my brother tells me this story because my dad won't, he, he just won't talk about stuff like this. You know, he, he's had a few things happen throughout his life, but he really doesn't uh, talk about it. Yeah. You know, and it's funny you say waiting because, uh, that's a great way to describe it. Cause how many times do we hear people say that they're driving their car and these things cross the road in front of their car and, it's almost as if it's intentional, you know? Right. I, I, on, Intention. a previous, on a previous show, I kind of jokingly asked the question, why did the Bigfoot cross the road? But literally, <laughs> why does the Bigfoot cross the road when a car is coming? I mean, right. if they're as, inte right. as intelligent as people suggest they are, why would they not just wait? And, and, right. and, and right. so the, oh, the only thing that you could left thinking is, well, then maybe it's an intentional thing. Why? I don't know. I mean, I know Tim Renner, I had him on a previous show talking about his book, um, Bigfoot in Pennsylvania, and he suggested that he, 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 they, maybe they do it just because they're kind of bored and just a toy with you. Right. You know, and, and right. who knows, you know, just who knows. But uh, that's some like, fascinating and stuff. Me and my, they're out, since out there pointing and laughing. <laughs> exactly. It, 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 it is just so crazy. And if you took note of, you know, Chad's point while you're right there is this being, this Sasquatchy, certainly is how it was described to us, looked at them. 
you know, looked at them as they drove past it. Wasn't like it jumped up and ran. It it waited, stood up and looked at them. I, I mean, that's just it's as amazing to me as all the rest. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so all right, before we get out of here, uh, a couple questions here. Uh, some housekeeping, I should say. Uh, my final interview question for you guys is, what would you say to people out there who have or are experiencing the same or similar things that you guys have experienced that you know, maybe they're maybe they're scared to talk about it or something like that? What would you say to those people that you've have something in common with with what they've experienced and you've experienced? And after you share that, close close us out with where people can get your book and if you have a website or something like that. Yeah, you know, I just want to. And this is the reason we came out in the first place, not to write a book, not to, you know, do interviews, just to try to find, you know, common people with common experiences to let people know that, hey, you're not not crazy. You're not the only one that go through these things. And, you know, that's just kind of what we want to say. And I would I would then just add what I would offer is. We're available to be reached out to. We're open. You know, we're we're not here to be abused. We're not here to abuse anyone. So that's what we would offer is because we can't suggest go find help. We can't suggest anything because it's not none of that has necessarily worked in our favor. But what we can offer is the fact that. We are sharing our truth as we understand it, and we're available for people if they need somebody to reach to. And Chad, if you want, right, you can you can find me on Facebook. My name is Chad Dillard on on Facebook, or you can uh, just you know if you want to stay pretty much anonymous, you can go to our Facebook page, um, Orbducted, and uh, give us a like there. You know, communicate that way. Uh, you can also pick up our book there. I'm working on our uh, website. Haven't got it uh, quite completed or anything like that yet. But uh, we did get we did get the Facebook page up uh, pretty fast and pretty quick, and and a uh, lot lot more information there. A lot more pictures that we couldn't fit in the book, and uh, so that's where you can find us. That's, that's and great. Tony, please let us know when you receive yours, and if you if there's any issue, please let us know so we can get one to you again. And we just can't thank you enough for all of this fabulous time. You're just you're just a blessing, and and it's just been awesome to have you on the other end of this sharing and asking. And we're just very appreciative. Absolutely, the pleasure is all mine. I mean, I I absolutely am glad that I had you on tonight. I know. Last week we had a cancel because I had a storm here and it wasn't going to bode well for the interview. But uh, I'm really, I'm really glad we got this done because you guys have uh, fascinating stories that other people can benefit from big time. And so um, everybody who's listening, go ahead and check them out on Facebook. Uh, Orb Ducted, O R B D U C T E D. Uh, that's how you spell it. Orb Ducted. Check out their Facebook page and you know friend chat if you'd like to talk 
And uh, I will be probably making this whole interview into video format as well and putting it on the YouTube channel, the Confessionals YouTube channel. Uh, That way people can kind of get more exposure to your story. Uh, I don't really put a whole lot on YouTube right now, but I think that this interview should definitely be on YouTube so people can, you know, hear your story, whether they're going to my website or not. So... I really appreciate you guys coming on and sharing your stories. We thank you so much, and we will just scream your praises to anybody that will hear us that you're out there and to check you out and wishing you the absolute best in fatherhood and our best to your wife. I really appreciate that. You guys have a good night, okay? Thanks so much. You too. All right. Take care. Bye. See ya. Well, that's the show, everybody. I hope you enjoyed our first two-part show. I had fun making it, and I hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you've had an encounter or a story you'd like to share with me to be on the show, go ahead and email me at theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com or go to the website theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the connection section, and you can reach me that way as well. If you're on social media, feel free to look us up on Facebook and Twitter. The Twitter handle is tconfessionals. That's tconfessionals. You can also find me personally on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And my Twitter and Instagram handles are Tony underscore Merkel. It's the same for both, Tony underscore Merkel. Until next week, friends, take care.
Yes, we go. 